What's up, everybody? Hey there, family. Oh my goodness. I swear, we take two weeks off and just like things just be popping left and right. Like the whole world just shifts? Or the whole tennis world? Yeah, definitely some big things went down since the last time that we uh, recorded. Yes, big things things popping. (laughs) Right, that should have been, that would have been the perfect thing to start off with. Big things popping and little things stopping. Yeah, I don't remember the song. Little yeah. things dropping? I don't know. Something. Little things are doing something. <laughs> but most importantly, big things are popping. <laughs> hey guys, it's Michael. And this is me. And we are us, also known as Serving It Up. Welcome. Yes. Uh, thank you guys for tuning back in this week, Serving It Up Tennis Podcast. We're here to give you some updates on what's been going on in the tennis world the past two weeks. Yeah, we got a lot to cover. Um, but before we jump into that, what has been going on in your world? <laughs> uh, my world has been nothing but adulting and being responsible. So boring, 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 and boring. Yeah. Well, the last time, this is really, the last time we talked, we did something fun that was tennis related. We got to play on some grass courts. Oh, yes, that was super interesting. Yeah, we played on the grass courts at the um, Tennis Hall of Fame. Tennis Hall of Fame. Yes, um, in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, So that was neat. Got to play on grass for the first time for both of us. Definitely an interesting and different monster. Gave us a better appreciation for uh, the transition that people have to make because grass is a lot different. (laughs) It's completely so different, like... I don't know, you just hear about how grass is so fast and it's for, like, aggressive players and it speeds the game, which it does. Like, playing on grass and, like, how low the ball stays and how it literally just, like, slides to the court and the bounces. It was absolutely crazy. Um, grass court is not my favorite surface. Yeah, I think it may be it may be the perfect surface for me though. As <laughs> we've learned that I think it definitely benefits my uh flat hitting uh more than it does your your spin that you like to put on the ball. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like it was more just me and I I mean, I still have to get used to the court, but like me just reacting where I feel like you were able to just let your game flow freely. Um and like the, you like you said, you hit flatter than I do. I hit with more spin. Um, like a, I can see why people with a slight serve is rewarded. I can see why there's legit people who, for that month of the year, show up and have big wins out of nowhere. Because right. you could legit be a grass court specialist and like give top players a hell of a time. Like Shway, uh, I can see why she's such a troublesome player or a Strikova on um grass right i mean it really does favor um the slicing because it keep the slicing keeps the ball very low uh, which is very difficult for somebody who wants to try to hit out because you have to focus even harder on staying down on um, being quick to react because you really don't have any time to think no um, 
And so, yeah, I can definitely get why, like, Shway would be so difficult to play on, on grass. Like, if I had to play somebody who was just slicing the whole time on grass, I think I would be exhausted. Just from the <laughs> idea that I would have to stay, like, basically squatted down the entire time just to hit the ball. Exactly. It kind of takes me back to Venus in 2011 when she played, oh, and her name just went out of my head. She played the the lady that had retired and then came back. Um, gosh, I can't remember her name. She's like Asian or from like Chinese Taipei. Kamiko Date Crumb? Yes, Kamiko Date Crumb. Who like hacks and slices and dices and that was right. that was super difficult first round for Venus. It went deep in the third set. And I'm like, Venus, why are you not dragging this girl? And I see why. Yeah. Because uh, this surface really, it like, it, it it really benefits people who that is their go-to game. Right. Yeah, it really does. So, But it was a fun experience. Um, I would like to play more on grass. <laughs> uh, I think... Like I said, it benefits my game more. I enjoyed it a lot more than I think you did <laughs> by the time we left. But it was fun to get to hit on the grass and check that off the bucket list for us. And to get to walk around the Tennis Hall of Fame. So much history there. Uh, tennis has been played there for so long. That's where like the U.S. Open used to be when it was mm-hmm. like Forest Hills or whatever. Uh, back Which is in the crazy day. being there. Like we were actually where the U.S. Open. Because for those of you that don't know, like all tennis grand slams used to be played on grass. Right. You know, over the decades it switched, but that was the site of the first grand slam. So just the history, being on those grounds, walking where so many champions have walked on, and then like walking where people who are inducted into the Hall of Hall of Fame go. So this year, if I'm, is um, Lena, Mary Pierce, and some oh, guy. He's, he's from no, no, and he was my favorite, not favorite, but I like him. Safi? No, he was from Russia. Oh, he won the French Open singles and doubles. Oh, I can't think of his name right now, but I did, I did like him um, when he played. Let me see if I can find his name right now. I know, I'm like googling it. Uh, oh, Yevgeny Kafelnikov. Kafelnikov, yes. Yeah. When I used to play those tennis games on, like, the Wii or whatever games as a man my brother had, I would typically pick you, get Kafelnikov, because I liked them. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool. Um, grass is not my surface. It's definitely more his. We played a practice match, and he definitely won. Um, so kudos to him on that win. Undefeated on the grass courts. Thank you very hey, much. Like, you know, you can take that for the rest of your life. <laughs> um yeah, I just won't ever play another match on grass, so I can just keep saying that Look, for the rest of my life. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Right. But, yeah, it was fun. Uh, we got to see... Oh, we saw that Kleisters, they were playing her, like, the speech or whatever, and we both were like, she shouldn't be here. She's not retired anymore. It's like, I really think that they sh- should come up with some kind of rule for that. I don't know. It just seems weird, because she's gonna be playing again, and then she's gonna be in the Hall of Fame. So she's, like, an active player. So it's like... I mean, I guess, but I don't know. I think it should be like, I, I, don't, well, I, I don't know if that would count because it depends. I, I was going to say maybe people would be too old. I don't know. I think there should be a time period where you cannot be inducted because I think, and I'll try to look it up while we're doing this episode, I think you have to be retired for five years. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like five years. But I feel like it should be like maybe like 15, like 10 At least or 15 10. years because even if like Kleiser's, is coming back now 
even if she had retired the first time, like, 10 years, she would not have already been inducted. Because we have so many players who now it's becoming a pattern. I feel like eventually we're going to see this this rule change. Because tennis used to be a game where when you retired, you just retired. Now we have so many people retiring and coming back. Um, Kleist just came back after retiring. Anna came back. Hingis came back twice after retiring and after a drug bust. I'm going to throw that out there. Um <laughs> Golovin is coming back now. Um, Excuse me. Sorry. I think we're going to see that rule change because more of the women especially are stopping at a younger age to possibly have families or because the game has become more physical. People are stopping at a younger age. You know, Bartoli wanted to come back this year, but that got derailed. So I think they're going to have to change that rule because now players aren't retiring super early like the early... Their late twenties, early thirties. They're playing. Look at Venus; she's thirty-nine. Yeah. So you're gonna have to change that rule. Yeah, I think they'll have to start examining it more if this keeps happening. I mean, it's definitely something you'll see more on the women's side as opposed to the men's side. Um, but we'll see if it if it comes up again. I feel like if it comes up another time with another player, then they probably will start looking into it more. Um, I think like it should come up now. Hengis was inducted and she was playing. Um, Clashes was inducted. Now she's playing. I mean, I guess the only exception was Navratilova. She was inducted, but like she really took like decades for and came back just to play doubles. So I mean, she would have still fell within a ten-year time frame. But it's happening more and more. I think it's inspiring. Other, I wouldn't be surprised if Mesquina come out the woodworks and Capriati come out the woodworks, and you just never know because when you see one person do it and you like, it inspires others. Um, I mean, I almost think that the the rule to weight is, I mean, is it necessary? Because it's like, for instance, like, I mean, we know Venus is going to be there. You know what I mean? Like, you know that Serena's going to be there. There's people playing now that you know that are going to be there. Like, they're going to be in the Tennis Hall of Fame. So it's like, maybe they should just induct them now. I don't know. It's just like a weird... I guess I get well, why you want to weigh. Because what's the... Wh- you, she's gonna, they're gonna be in it anyways. It's like if you could put classes in there, and then she can retire and then come back, and she's still gonna be in there. She's still gonna add to whatever. They're gonna have to change her thing to be updated if she wins more tournaments or what whatnot. It's like Serena's gonna be in. It was weird to me walking through there and not seeing any mention of like. I mean, they were there, but it wasn't. They, I feel like they should already have some kind of like blurb about them because I mean they're clearly gonna be in the tennis hall of fame. It's just like, I felt like that was a strange, it was a little weird. I guess I had to just remember where we were and what the purpose of the of the museum or place was. And it's like, okay, these are people who have left their stamp and this is what they did. A summation of their career, if you will. And so it's like, they have, their career has to be over. I get that. But it's also like, we're in this tennis place. I'm like, I feel like. Where is the the stuff about Federer and the stuff about Serena and Djokovic and Murray? It was a little... That was just like, oh, the, none of the current players who are clearly going to be here one day are mentioned. It's just a little strange to me. It, well, that part felt weird. with you, friend, because I don't think it was strange at all. Me walking around, not seeing Venus and Serena and Federer and Nadal and Djokovic, who I know are going to be inductees, not seeing them, was not strange to me because they're not retired. And... I think because of this whole people coming back is changing what people see the Hall of Fame for. Like, the Hall of Fame is to recognize you for your the entirety of your career. 
you induct people as they go through their career, like you said, every year, they're going to have to be changing blurbs. And when they put these plaques up and when they put these signs up, like if they were to induct Serena 10 years ago, she's won how many Grand Slams then? Um, if they went to induct Federer 10 years ago, how many Grand Slams he won since? So it, just, it would keep changing. And then, okay, Roddick got inducted, but Roddick won one Grand Slam. Had a great career. So then do we automatically induct Ostapenko because she won a Grand Slam? But, you know, she may be inducted at some point, but she's done nothing else since winning that one Grand Slam. So we just do we just induct her at 20, and now she's in the Hall of Fame at 20 because she won a Grand Slam? Like, I don't, I think the Tennis Hall of Fame and any Hall of Fame for any sport or even any industry, they do it in, like, music and everything, it should be for the entirety of your career. I think we're just seeing in tennis more people come out of retirement, which is strange in sports. But for me, walking around and not seeing a blurb about Serena made sense because she's not done, and she's not done at 23. So I don't know. I don't think it should become where you're inducted as you're playing because then it becomes disrespectful to... Well, this person has five, but I have four. Why did you pick her and not like I don't know. He has three, but I have two. But I have more titles. Like so, who do you pick more? I don't know. I don't know. I think it just the players should retire. You look at the entirety of their career, and then see if they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, if they choose to come out of retirement, which seems to be the thing to do now, that's up to them. But that's why I think they should extend the time where you can be put on the ballot. So maybe you're actually done with your career. Like, done, done. Yeah. Well, regardless, it was neat to go there and see everything. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, yeah, so you want to take a break, and then we'll jump into, like, the real tennis of the now news? Sure thing. All right. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. And let's get yeah. into it. So... Perhaps, not perhaps, definitely, probably the biggest story from the past two weeks just happened, was finished today, when Corey Coco Goff won her first WTA title and became probably the luckiest loser of all time. (laughs) So her road to this was a bit uh, unorthodox. She lost in the qualifying and I would would venture to say was probably not too far from getting ready to pack her bags and go home when um, a player in the main draw pulled out and Coco Goff became a lucky loser and got into the main draw of the tournament. Um, and now she managed to work that that fortune into a, a title. So... Definitely not how we thought this week was going to go for her, but um, definitely happy that she was able to come away with the win and put a stamp on what will surely go down when she undoubtedly, in my opinion, gets inducted into the Tennis Hall of Fame as her breakout year. (laughs) So if I'm not mistaken, I think what ended up happening is she did lose in the second round, and I think she was like 40 minutes. I think she was like doing like some kind of final little interview prep something, and she was getting ready to leave. Um, cause her next tournament is Luxembourg and then that player pulled out and then they called her and it was like, well, you are next on the list of players who lost. You need to be ready in 40 minutes. So she went from literally getting ready to leave the grounds in 40 minutes, having to play a match. Um, and when I saw that she was a lucky loser and she won her first round match, I literally said, watch this girl win the whole tournament. 
like literally said those words. I was like, for some reason, I just feel she came, she played qualifying, she lost, she got this opportunity. I was like, she is going to win this whole tournament. And this 15-year-old girl has now won her first WTA singles title in 2019. Definitely will be her breakout year. If we think about it, she played Miami, won a match, played Wimbledon, made it to the second week. We have to mention the fact that she did beat um, one of the all-time greats and uh, International Tennis Hall of Fame inductee in the future, Venus. Then she won a WTA doubles title with Katie McNally. We can't forget that. And in the third round of the U.S. Open, where she lost to Osaka. Um, so to be 15 and then your first full year on tour, you win your first doubles and singles title. I mean, and she started the year ranked just in the set, just inside of seven, the 700. And now she's going to, right now she's 71 in the world. And she's still playing Luxembourg next week. I just, oof. I need her kind of luck on my side in life. Yeah, I mean, listen, she backs. It was luck, yes, but she also has the skill uh, to back it up, which is undoubted. I mean, which is unarguable, I think, from a, which we knew from. So we've seen her. I mean, I guess for most people, I feel like Wimbledon was the biggest thing where everybody was started talking about her. And it was like, okay, this girl's got game. And she's backed that up um, since then with some, some quality wins, especially here. Um, you know, she beat Burton's, which is no easy feat, I don't think. Um, and she's hung tough against Ostapenko, who we'll talk about in a second, uh, who she played in the final here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think she probably didn't expect to come out of this, the the champion, especially after losing and qualifying, clearly, but she took advantage of the chance, and now she has a title, and what a way to end. I mean, her year's not over. Like you said, she's going to Luxembourg, but if she doesn't do well or she decides not to play there, I think this is a great way to close out her 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely going to play in Luxembourg. She's 15. At 15, you you feel like you can play every day, 365 years, 365 days. So she'll play Luxembourg because she actually posted on her Instagram story that she was actually, she had her suitcase and she was getting ready to go to the airport to travel to Luxembourg. Um, so she'll play. I just think it's crazy that she's been able to accomplish those two things. Like she said she had goals at the beginning of the year and winning a title did not include it. Um, but she did that. And that's why sometimes I think it's great to just set goals but not limit yourself because at 15, for her to do what she's done, um, and again, I know we said this numerous times on previous episodes, like the fact that we saw this girl playing like when she was eight or nine or ten however old she was and now going from that to we saw her play live at the u.s open to now continuing to follow her career and see her win her first singles titles and like beating burton's with her first so this week she had she cracked the top 100 for the first time got to her first wta quarterfinals then her first wta semifinals beat her first top 10 player in the world and then her first final, and now her first title, beating the 2017 French Open champion, all at 15. And it sounds so crazy young, but I have to remember how years ago in the women's game, like, we had such young champions. So she's the first, she's the youngest champion since 1991, youngest American champion since 1991. Capriati won Toronto in 91, but she was younger. She's the youngest champion on the women's tour since 2004. 
Um, Vitisova won a tur tournament when she was 16. And she's the youngest tournament. Well, Tracy Austin still has the record for the youngest overall. She won a title when she was 14. Um, but it just reminded me that, you know, the women used to do a little bit more dominating when they were younger. King has got to number one in the world when she was 16. Um, Venus was in the U Venus and Sweden were in the U.S. Open Finals when they were 17. Um, so I think I don't, I, this. I guess my thought is like, are we slowly seeing a shift back to that? Because for the last decade, it was more the veterans dominating the tour. Now we're seeing the Goths and the Osakas and the Andrescu's like step up and win big titles. So are we going back to that stage of where the younger women are dominating the tour? What do you think? I mean, I don't. Dominating is a strong word to me, but uh, definitely some some young women who are going to be around for a while and making a name for themselves. I don't know if you can say. I mean, I guess Andrescu has been kind of dominating the tour. Osaka, I don't put her in like that young age because she's not even. Isn't she like twenty two or something like that? Well, she just had her birthday, so she's twenty two now. But right. I guess I'm saying people who are like twenty two, twenty one, twenty nine. Like we had not had young. Tennis had started to become dominating, and I will say dominating, for players who were, like, 26 and older. Like, it was Serena, Lena, even Venus when she was a little bit winning big tournaments. Like, it was, like, if you were, like, 25 and older, you were winning everything. And now, which was very different, because, again, you go back, Kingis, Venus, Serena, Capri, they were all young when they were winning things. And now I feel like we're seeing the 22s and the 21s and the 19s Ostapenko won the first when she was 20. Andrescu was 19. Um, Osaka won her two slams when she was 20 and 21. Now Coco Golf, yes, it's not a slam. Her first title at 15. Um, so I'm just thinking if we're starting to see a little bit of maybe that shift back. Well, I mean, definitely seeing a new generation of players come and, and start to take over um, from the old old heads, if you will. So... Yeah, it's just like it's does it's not as like dominant, I guess, as as it was before. But it's definitely like okay, here are the here are the young people who are going to be the future of tennis. I think we've mm -hmm. seen those people this year in Osaka and in Odrescu and in golf. Um, like I think okay, these are the people who are going to be playing the big matches against each other. You know, in the next two to what five years. You know, once yeah. once Serena and and Venus decide to hang up their hats, I think these are going to be the people that people will be talking about. Like, um, Because I guess when we talked last time, the Andrescu-Osaka match hadn't happened yet, right? Because that was mm -hmm. last weekend. And so even in that match, it was like, okay, this is a, this is a rivalry that we're going to see lots from. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's good to see. It's exciting. I was saying the other day when we were talking that this is... Um, the most excited I've been about, like, the women's game going into next year, like, trying to actually watch some entertaining matches, some competitive matches, because I think the Osaka and Andrescu, at least, um, I don't want to put too much on Goff yet, because it's like she's still so young, but I think that she's going to make even more of a move next year. Like, I think that the three of them all have the mental toughness, I think, to be able to yeah. give us some, like, strong, competitive matches. Um, so that's exciting to think about.
Absolutely. They're definitely going to be consistent players. And the thing is, I wish them all the best because you just never know. So many things can happen, be it injury, be it pressure, be it whatever. Because um, I always think about, and this is why we have the age rule, what happened to Capriati and her young success. Um, but you never can, like, you never can compare one player to the other. Um, I think they're all legit. I think the game is in super good hands for when we start seeing the current legends decide to actually retire. Um, like I said, we hadn't talked since the Osaka Andrescu match, but that was a good match. It lived up to the hype. Um, uh, I am not. I actually am not surprised by the Osaka success during the Asian swing. I always thought once the Grand Slams were done, she would get back to playing well because she put too much pressure on herself on the Grand Slams. Winning Australia, great. Then making the public statement of wanting to win the Grand Slam, which was very odd because she still hasn't like figured out how to play on clay or grass. So that was pressure that she put on herself. And then defending the U.S. Open was pressure. But I felt like once she got that pressure off, she would be able to play play freely and she played really well in to win Osaka and Beijing I'm excited to see her play at Shenzhen so I, I don't know I, I'm excited I have not honestly been this excited about a tennis player in a few years I was so I was super excited about Keys you know Keys has you know she's still trying to figure it out um but there I'm excited about these three even though Andrescu slightly a little bit gets on my nerves um, but I can't take away from her talent. Right. And I mean, her- we don't have to like her, but she definitely has the game <laughs> to to be in the conversation. It's like, okay, I think it's it's gonna be like a maybe this is like our federal. I mean, they're not they haven't done anything to be that li- like. But it's like, oh, is this our new you know Federer and Nadal or our Capriati Serena? Like, are are these two when you when they play each other? We guarantee that this is gonna be a, a tight competitive exciting match and i think that may be the case yeah so, that's exciting um, i'm definitely ready for the year end to see what's going to go down there uh serena just clearly not going to play so it's whatever but um it'll be yeah. exciting serena to watch herself to play to be a keynote speaker in the event the same week right you knew she was never gonna go but the fact that serena's only played eight tournaments this year and is still possibly going to qualify and for example I, I'm so, like I don't know what it is. I mean I don't know. That's a different argument for a different day. But Nevada Serena's played eight tournaments. I can still qualify, and Kiki Burton's has played twenty five tournaments so so far, and it's so like ugh, I just that just blows my mind. But that's another argument for another day. Yeah. This whole quantity thing just drives me insane. Right. Um. So in the final, uh, Coco defeated. Elena Astapinko, uh, who you all may know or may not know, uh, is a French Open champion from 2017. Uh, the only title that she's ever won. Um. No, she won a title after that. Oh, no, she did? Yes. She oh, okay. Won title, she, she won a title that same year during the Asian Swing. Well, her first, that was her first title ever, right? Mm-hmm. And she hasn't... Yeah. There was some some stat that I saw about the French Open. Like, she hasn't won there since or something like that. She hasn't won a match since. Yeah, at the French she Open. She lost the first round in 18 and 19. Right. And so... Wait, no. No, I remember the stat. So, every year she's played the French Open, because she played it before, she's lost in the first round, minus 
the year she won it. Won it so she yes. lost in the first round of 15-16, won it in 17, first on 18-19. Right. So there you go for some, some consistency. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she was in the final, uh, maybe in part two, uh, thanks to her new coach, one Marion Bartoli, uh, which had people talking a bit earlier uh, before Coco Goff took over <laughs> the new cycle. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's an interesting pairing, I think. Uh, Bartoli and uh, Ostapenko seems to have worked out in her favor for this tournament. Uh, yeah, I, definitely a good first showing for the two of them. Right, I I couldn't get a sense from the articles if they were gonna if this was like a long term partnership or if it was just for this tournament. Um, because I think what I kept reading was like they kept saying this tournament, and so I was kind of confused about if they were gonna do anything else after this or if it was like a trial basis. I think they're. I think right now is just to see how the year ends because Asapinka's been having a really rough year. Um, this was a very good start for them to get to the finals. So I think Bartoli is going to probably travel with her to Luxembourg, see how that goes there. I see them going into um, the going into next year still as a coach because she needs one. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see Marion Bartoli as a coach because um, whenever I'll see the like the encore sessions. She never. She is a kind of coach that gives more positive. You can do it as opposed to like tactics. Like she would. She would just remind Bartoli or Astapenko that she was like, "You're the better player," or just like run her around, make her tired. Like, but I didn't get really any like tactics. Like hit to her forehand because she's doing this. So I don't know if it was just like their first week or whatever. So it'll be interesting for me at least to see them continue, and see what. Um, Bartoli shares with her as a coach during those coaching visits. Yeah, I wonder if she's gonna be making her do any of the crazy stuff that her dad used to <laughs> used to make her do when she was uh, playing. All the weird uh, warm ups and drills and strange things that Love. that Bartoli was out there doing. It worked for her. Yeah, you got her grand slam. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, listen, we keep talking about how coach coaches are basically becoming a part of the as big a, as big a part of the sport as the players, and I think this is another case where it's like, oh, her coach definitely adds some intrigue to her to her game and to her story, uh, some a, some extra interest uh, when you watch her matches, just knowing that she has somebody like Bartoli, another a Grand Slam champion, kind of in her corner, whispering in her ear. Um, you know, so it will be interesting to see because I think a lot of people, well, I, I'm always surprised or not surprised, but like when I think about Ospinko, I think, oh, it's Ospinko. She you did so well and she has a green slam and, but she really hasn't played that well since then. You know, I don't think she's lived up to, to that tournament, if you will. And so it's like, does she have the game? Like, is the pressure? So hopefully maybe Bartoli can kind of steer her back in the right direction. Yeah, since winning that tournament, like I said, she won the one tournament, I think it was Seoul or something, Seoul, in the Asian swing, and then she made it to the finals of Miami the next year. But she hasn't done anything since to, like, show her dominance or continue any of that form. Um, and I think that's because, like, her technique is really, especially in the serve, is really crazy. Um, one tournament, I think it was a tournament last week, she actually beat Pliskova, but in the match, she had 25 double falls. Right. 
And then these double falls are now like normal double falls. Like she's hitting the ball on the wrong side of the court. She's hitting the ball to the baseline. She's hitting the ball on the bottom of the net. Like it's like really bad serves. Like not like a they hit in the top of the net or they're just out. Like they are bad serves. Um, so I think she really needs. She's still super young. I don't like. Let's not be like Venus, who I love. But like, Venus could have done some more tweaking with her serve at a younger age. She's doing it now. But like, Asapenka really needs to focus on that because her serve is really bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is bad. Some of the misses that she has, they're like, girl, what was that? How do you even do that? <laughs> it's like, how, how as a professional tennis player can you do that consistently? It's pretty yeah. interesting. Which is the great thing that she actually won that match. Peskova, what were you doing? All right. Um, but I think that was kind of the next, that was, that was like on the top of my list of like, oh, this is interesting. And then Coco, like I said, kind of took over the whole news cycle a little bit and, and became the story of the week, especially on the women's side. Um, so yeah, I think people will be watching Ostapenko at this last, at Luxembourg to see how that goes. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. She had an interesting first round. Um, I don't know if you looked at the Luxembourg draw. She actually plays Katie McNally, who is the other half of McCoco, the doubles team. Yeah. Um, so she plays McNally in the first round of Luxembourg. So we'll see how that goes. And then Coco plays a number eight seed who, I don't know her name. I don't recognize a player, but she's a number eight seed in the tournament. Gotcha. Um, so they both have interesting first rounds. Well, I guess all eyes will be on both of them next week. Uh, see how they can That's back up this last week. Yes, that would be great. So yeah, shout out to Coco and special shout out to um, Osaka and her dominance, and a special shout out to Serena, who is so petty and posted that video of her on the practice court, which I'm sure was from months ago, um, to get her fans falsely excited. But I will not fall for the shenanigans. Yeah, Serena's not playing, guys. So just let it go. Let it go. It's not happening. She's not playing the year ending. No. So she's done for the year, and we should all just accept that. Please do. Yeah. Um, switching gears over to the men's side, some interesting stories from there as well. Um, one of them being that Daniel Medvedev is the best player on tour right now. Question I mark. Question mark. Agree. Question mark. <laughs> I no no question mark. In my yeah. Mind. He won uh, Shanghai. Uh, the Shanghai Masters, he beat uh, Sasha Zverev, 6-4, 6-1, um, making it his third title and six consecutive finals that he's played since Wimbledon. Uh, Absolutely. Which is kind of insane. And it's, to me, was kind of, I mean, I knew, I'm, I have been aware, because we've actually been talking about him, that he's been playing so well, but it still seemed like kind of a, like, oh, wow, he kind of in a sneaky way did that it's like you don't even realize that he's been so consistent and winning so much um definitely on a hot streak and and i think yeah probably i think zverev in his speech said that he was like you're you're the hottest player on tour the best player in the world right now and i don't know if we can can argue that in this moment i can't i cannot um because like you said six finals in a row three of those are titles two um back to back Masters, so he's doing a lot of things to put himself in the um, in the the in there with the big four because you know I'm the statistician, so like I make sure I look things up. So there's only five active players who've ever made six 
consecutive finals in a row. Can you guess the other four? The big four? Yes. Yeah. So Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray are the only other ones. Now Medvedev has done it. And then now he's also the first person outside of the big four to win back-to-back Masters Series titles. So something else he's doing. And in the years to the year to the, the race to the year-ending championship, he has now surpassed Federer. So he's actually number three behind, behind Djokovic and Nadal. In the rankings, he's still number four. But he's like a legit number four. Whereas even when Zverev or team got to number four, you still felt that big gap. Like, I don't feel that big gap. Like, Medvedev is like really stepped into his own. Um, and the only player that's beat him in this run is Nadal, who beat him in the final of Rogers Cup and the final of the U.S. Open in five sets. Um, Medvedev is scheduled to play Moscow next week. Um, I don't know if he's going to pull out or not. A lot of these tournaments he signed up for because, you know, at the beginning of the year, he wasn't like a big name. So he's had a full schedule. But now that he's been winning so much, he's been pulling out here and there. But I think he might play because it's in his home country of Russia. Um, But if I'm not mistaken, he's scheduled to play Moscow. And then he's scheduled to play either Vienna or Basel. And then he's scheduled to play... um, Shanghai, no, the, which, it, what, there's another master, Paris, Paris Masters Series, and then he's scheduled to play the year-ending. Oh, my God, they still have so much left. So much. So he has four tournaments that he's scheduled to play. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays all four. He'll definitely play the Paris Masters, and he'll play the year-ending. I don't know if he's going to play Moscow and Basel or Vienna. So with that, if he does, I think that just means he's kind of setting himself up to really challenge the big four and then get that number one ranking because he'll have tons of points to gain at the beginning of the year since his like he really started being consistent mid-summer yeah i mean he kind of to me i don't it seems like he came out of nowhere like he wasn't in my mind somebody that we were talking about as part of like the next gen you know it's i don't remember talking about him and then all of a sudden this guy was there and he was beating everybody um he said that he feels like something clicked in his game on in the the states and Mm -hmm. clearly that has been the case because since then he's just been on a tear um so congratulations to him Uh, i think he he ruffled some feathers was that was at the u.s open right Um, yes and kind of became known in an infamous way for that but he won the crowd back over. He obviously made the final at the U.S. Open and um, has been backing up since then. So kudos to him. He could very well end the year uh, at the top of the, Well, no, I guess he went in at number one, though. No, he can't yeah. at the top, but yeah. he's definitely setting himself up for next year. Yeah, so congratulations to him. He did beat uh, Zverev, like I said. Um, another kind of big thing from this tournament was uh, none of the big Big three, I guess we should call them now, uh, for the time being, was it made it to the semis. It was this was a very much like a kind of a changing of the guard. It seemed like uh, in a very small way, uh, because of the younger players, the next gen players, really did step up uh, and and took out Djokovic and Federer and um, yeah, nobody nobody that we know or, or used to being in the Masters semis was there. No, no big three, big four players. Um, it was Zverev, Medvedev, 
Berrettini. Berrettini. And Sitsipas. And Sitsipas. Yeah. So, yeah, none of the big four. And then, But the thing is, those names, they took those players out. Um, yeah. Sitsipas took out Djokovic, and Zverev took out Federer. In an amazing match. Federer, first of all, those the way he fought off those match points, yeah. like Federer went on a tear of just hitting winners, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It was like uh, a switch. That was impressive. It's like that's definitely that's just the, that's the thing that like a champion does. It's like we see Serena do that kind of all the time. It's just like bam, all of a sudden, let me get my shit together, and yeah. that's what he did. <laughs> and it was like you, it's just nothing you can do about it. No, there was nothing he could do, and I thought he was gonna end up winning the match. Um, he did end up getting that point penalty in the third set, which kind of sent him off. That was um, weird to me. I don't understand that. I mean, I get it because he already had gotten a warning. I, I gather, but he didn't. To me, he didn't hit the ball in like an aggressive way. So I think that was kind of an interesting, kind of an umpire, uh, kind of just point. You know, his own perspective of it. I guess it's like. Another another umpire would have just let that go because it was like I don't think he hit it in anger, but I guess he still hit the ball. I get it because it was technically ball abuse, so fine. But that was an interesting one to be like, oh, point violation. I think that's why it just comes back down to these things are so subjective. Subjective. That's the word I was looking for. I've seen so many people like literally like slam balls in the court or whatever, and nothing happens. Right. And he did hit the ball into the stadium but like he literally was like the ball's in my pocket i'm mad i got broken i'm just gonna swat at the ball like i didn't think it deserved a point penalty no um at all i didn't even think it deserved a warning no like i and i think that's where i get so frustrated with tennis because we continue to let tennis be or want tennis to be such an emotionless boring sport like let these players show their emotions like as long as no fans or no ball boys are getting hit or attacked like let them show emotions. Like, he should not get a point penalty, but it also made me laugh very much so because I loved how he reacted because he loved to not say nothing about Serena or say that Serena should have blah, 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 blah. So shut, take your point penalty and go sit down. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think he, about Serena. he was warranted. I feel like I also would have been like, you called a point penalty for that? Like, did you think I did that in anger? And it's like, no. I mean, the guy, the umpire couldn't really say anything. I mean... He was like, no, but you still abuse the ball, which is true. I mean, you can't you can't argue that because he did. So I'm surprised. I actually was surprised that he let it go so fast. I thought he was going to be more like argue longer about it. But I guess well, he was I just trying to let it go. They try to get clips. And, you know, like the thing is, I guess you got to get the emotions out. But like, I don't know why people even argue because it never change their mind. Well, no, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. You can't get them to change their mind, but. I guess it's like you said, just to let it go so you're not holding on to her for the rest of the match. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so he didn't um, – he ended up losing that. It was a, it was a good match, him and Zverev. Uh, I think when Zverev won, he was – he basically, he mouthed, uh, it's my fucking time now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was oh, like, that's oh, so okay. great to that's see. That's how we feeling? Yeah, I love watching that. That was really good to see because I think, I think the next year – or maybe for the rest of the tour, the rest of this year, we're going to see some good matches between – the young play, the young, the next gen and the old gen. <laughs> I don't know what to call the old people. Big three. That sounds weird to me, but it doesn't go together. But that's what we'll call them. <laughs> like I think we're gonna see start seeing some competitive matches. I think they're gonna start believing that they can beat them. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I think that a lot of 
Zverev's belief actually came from the Labor Cup and and having Federer and Nadal talk to him about trying not to lose his cool, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that advice he probably took to heart and saw some mm-hmm. results, saw that it actually did help him, and he's going to employ that against them. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder if they're going to regret you know, <laughs> giving him some tidbits of advice about those things. Because the fact that he looked like, him losing his cool was made him more beatable. And if he can get that under control, I think he's going to be a lot of trouble for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he definitely has the game. He's just been struggling a little bit more mentally. Yeah. So good match to watch. Good tournament for them. Um, also a good tournament for Andy Murray, who has uh, been making some strides in his comeback as well. Absolutely. I would agree. Um, getting some big wins. Um, he almost beat, and I wish he would have. Yeah. Um, this was also a big story yes. <laughs> from this week. Um, wanted him to beat him so bad because Fognini is such – he's so problematic. Like, uh, he just – I don't know. I don't, he's just like another a young, a less vocal or a less crazy version of um, Curios. Oh like, yeah, I just feel like there's he's so negative, like or maybe more crazy actually. I feel like he's what I feel like he's worse than Curious. I don't know why. I would agree because he actually calls people out there like he yeah, is he's all women sluts and yeah all this kind of stuff and like he is very rude. It's more malicious, I think, coming from him than it is from Curious. I think. That's why I still struggle with Kyrgios because I think most of the stuff he does is inappropriate, but I don't feel like it's ever ill-intentioned or I think he's just putting on a show. That doesn't make it right. But with Fognini, it feels very like personal and like he is attacking people. I don't know. It just yeah, feels more, it has more ill will in it to me. Yes. Yeah. So him and Murray got into it uh uh, over a point where Murray was, I guess, about to hit a volley, and somebody, somebody made a noise. Not sure if it was Fognini or somebody in the crowd, and basically Murray, like, made a complaint about it, and Fognini what told him to basically get over it or something like that. And they had an exchange about that, and lengthy one at that, uh, which got a little uh, intense because Murray basically told him that he's not gonna talk to me like that. <laughs> and Murray told him straight up to shut up. To shut up, uh, yeah. Loved sir it. Andy Murray, let's sir knighted by the Queen, <laughs> Andy Murray out there telling people to shut up. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. Um, I think it was Fogluni who made the noise with her, but Fogluni was saying like he was saying it's not a big deal or to right. get over it or it's just funny. Um, oh yeah, because it was like an easy volley and Fogluni yes. was like, the, "Oh, no, you're not gonna miss that, him. right?" Yeah. And Murray's like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm not gonna miss it." But the point is somebody made a noise and so that shouldn't happen and that's basically all that there, there is to this um yeah so they kind of got into it on the court and apparently afterwards as well i was reading that there was words exchanged like in the locker room too yes yeah so. i mean when he was saying like i don't know why he has a problem he's just like me we both complain a lot um and then Murray was just really mad that he lost because he, he really, because that game that they had that exchange, Murray had just finished breaking him to go up 6-5. So he actually was serving for the match. Um, it would have been nice for him to win it, but unfortunately he didn't. Um, 
But, but he's he, playing again this week, and he's slowly but surely, like, you can see he's putting it forward and again for a guy that came out and potentially said that the Australian Open could be his last tournament or definitely his last Grand Slam, and now he's already confirmed he'll be back in 2020, and he's confirmed that he'll be at the Australian Open in 2020. I think it's great. Like, he's putting in a lot of work to get back to a level where he can contend for these titles. Yeah, it's exciting. I like Andy Murray. I like his attitude. Um, I think he's he's gotten a lot better about his complaining on court. Like, he used to be one of those people where he'd be like, okay, boy, nothing's... Like, he would be like, oh, I'm injured, but then still running everywhere. And, like, I think he's gotten better about that, which makes me like him more. And I think he's a stand-up guy as far as, like, his standards and his ethics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he's he always been a... Men's right. And an equality in their right. play, in their game. Yeah, he's always a big champion for the women's game. And anytime somebody tries to say something left or sideways about Serena or Venus or anybody else on the women's tour, he's always quick to correct them, and I always appreciate that about him. And so if he tells you to shut up on court, I would have to think that there's probably a pretty good reason. Absolutely. You probably should just um, shut up. Yeah, he's probably saying something that needs to happen. So uh, that was funny to watch, and and I hope he can continue to do better. But, yeah, it's great that he's going to already confirm to be back for next year to play at the Australian Open when this year. Didn't they have, like, a retirement ceremony for him or something? Like, didn't they play? Slightly. They had yeah. court for him, and now he'll be back. So somebody said it would be super funny if um, Andy Murray, like, did the Australian Open, had a retirement, somewhat of a retirement ceremony. Because he's, if people remember, Andy Murray, technically, even though he's won Wimbledon twice and the U.S. Open once, the Australian Open is his most successful Grand Slam. Right. He's been in the finals there five times. Um, but all five times he's lost to either Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer. So someone's like, it would be crazy if he's lost her five times had a semi-retirement ceremony, and then makes his way back in 2020 and wins it finally. Um, After. I think it, like, that would be the Grand Slam that really means the most to him um, if that was to happen. But yeah, he'll definitely be back in 2020. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah, exciting. Um, I think that's about all I have. A couple quick, really just really, little, really, really quick things. Venus, girl, so disappointed. So, 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 so disappointed, especially with the last one because you had a draw that was very favorable and yet you still weren't able to get a win in a match that you surely were supposed to win. It's fine. It's okay. I'm not going to harp on it because we do this every week. But please, next year, when we're in these matches that are winnable, let's please, 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 please figure out a way to close them out because there's no reason that you shouldn't. So... Yes. Look, I'm just. I mean, the girl that she lost to went on to win the tournament. Well, that's cute uh, for her. But which I was still... gonna say what's cute for her, but I was gonna say which again shows how favorable the draw was for Venus. Exactly. Because she should have been that girl, and if the girl went on to win the whole tournament, I mean, it's likely yeah. that Venus would have done the same, or at least could have had her name in the conversation. Yeah. But it was a very disappointing Asian swing for her. Um, had lots of our hopes up because she was coming over there with a coach, a new coach, and a new attitude and, and, and a, an intent to win and just not really able to get it done, mostly, in my opinion, because of her own mentality. Um, so she has to figure out, as we've said time and time again, how to get over that mental break, whatever is happening in her head. 
if she wants to be able to compete at the Olympics next year, which we know is a goal of hers for sure, and just to have some more success because it's really sad to see her try so hard but not be able to get the results. And it's not because she's of a certain age or of a certain no. ability. It's because it's she's her in her own she, way. She took benches to three sets and she should have won that match and benches to the top ten player. It's not her game. It's just her confidence, which was going to be one of my my tip this week, but I started to change it. Um, but it's not her game. Venus just, Venus just not, you hit the nail on the head when we were talking one day. It's like, for whatever reason, when she gets up, instead of being confident, like, I'm winning, she's just like, when is, when is the fall off going to start? It's like she starts playing more nervously because she's waiting for the fall off to happen. And then, God forbid, she loses the next game. Then she starts spiraling. She's like, oh, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Because it's been such a uh, spiraling, it's been happening for, for so long that she doesn't even believe in herself when she's up. Um, and there's too many things going on in her game right now that she has to fix. One, she starts matches too slowly. Like, Venus is typically always down in the first set. Or typically always losing the first set because she starts so slow. And I don't know if this is going to be a pattern next year, but I'm starting to see her, like, come out of court with coffee Girl, drink the coffee before, like, two hours before. Drink another cup as you walk. I don't know what you're doing with this need for coffee. But if your energy is that low, let's not wait till we get on the court. Um, but I don't. she just needs to focus on point one. Like, I, I hate seeing her go down immediately three love. Because then it gives these girls confidence, and then they just start swinging. And then she is playing well, but then now you're playing somebody who's just swinging and their balls are landing in because they're confident everybody wants to beat Venus. And then I sent you that email. Like, everybody gets excited when they see her name because no one's really afraid of her. Like, they look at it as a chance to make their career. Peterson could prove me wrong, but Peterson does not look to me the type of player that's going to have some super huge career. But now she can say that she beat Venus Williams, one of the legends. And she said, and I sent you the link, when she saw the draw... I was immediately excited to play Venus Williams. Like, these girls be looking forward to it because they know as long as I can stay in this match and get the ball back, I am probably going to win because she's probably going to fall apart in some way. So she got to get it back together where these girls at least somewhat fear her and know that she's not going to give them the match with just, like, kind of going away. Yeah. Well... I mean, I don't, I don't, I've, I doubt that the, the fear will ever be a thing. Like, I don't think Venus is gonna carry that type of gravitas with her anymore. So she needs to figure out how to win without that, without that. I agree. People aren't afraid of her anymore, and it's like I don't think that she's gonna be able to become so dominant again that people will be afraid of her. Um, and you're right, and even uh, maybe fear is the wrong thing, but just people just know even people. And I guess that's, you should have that mentality anyways. But Venus could be literally up 6-3-4-1. Right. And they still feel like they can win. Yeah. Like, they don't get, they don't go away. They don't get defa- defeated. They're literally saying, okay, next game, just keep playing. Because she's, she's going to go away. Right. Like, they're literally just waiting for her to go away, no matter what the score is. No matter how far up she is. And that, I just wish she would kind of stop. That can easily be done by her closing out matches. Like, a lot of these three-set matches she gets in, it doesn't need to be three sets. Yeah. Like, it could be straight sets. She's typically has a lead, and then she just loses it. 
Yeah, it's definitely frustrating for sure. Frustrating for us, so I can only imagine how frustrating it is for her. But yeah. uh, pretty sure her year is also over. I was holding out hope that she might try to play something else, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to mention that really quickly. Um, also, I think that's it. Uh, Sharapova pulled out of Lutz, Lutzenberg or Lent. Right, wait, is it Luxembourg? Yeah, she pulled out of Luxembourg with her shoulder injury. I'm starting to question if she's going to play again, honestly. I think next year may be the last year for her. We'll see what happens there. Um, she did confirm that she's going to play in 2020. Right. But I do agree that I think 2020 will be her last year. Yeah. I think I, we can talk, I mean, we'll talk about it more as it gets closer, but I think she definitely has to be disappointed with her comeback after, you know, her drug stuff. So, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I think she's probably going to wish she just wouldn't have come back, is what I think she'll take from this whole thing. That's come just on, me. Huh? Like, come on, drug stuff. I'm just saying. It was drug stuff. It was drug stuff. Okay. All right, so that's all I got. You want to take a break, come back with your tennis tip? Sure thing. Okay, goodbye. And we're back. And it's time for the tennis tip. Okay, um, a little thing. Oh, oh, um, okay. So my tennis tip this week is going to be like tennis tips too. They go hand in hand, but it kind of, it came from playing on grass court. So my two tips this week is tip number one, early preparation. Um, in tennis, you have to, have to, have to really practice and getting your racket back as soon as you can. Like, it's almost like you have to have that good sense of, looking at your opponent and like seeing their body and where they're going to hit the ball. And as soon as they hit it, get your racket back. I know sometimes I have a bad habit of waiting until the ball is on me to get my racket back. And then I'm rushing to hit my next shot, which if you do that, one, you lose power. And two, you lose control. So I may want to hit the ball down the line, but then it goes more in the middle of the court or then it goes wide or I may want to go cross court and I have no control over my shots. So getting your racket back early, you got to get your racket back, turn your hips and your shoulders. And one thing actually when I'm playing tennis well and I'm actually focused, I actually look for the pin or the Wilson or just it, the darker color on the ball as it spins because it means that my racket's back and I'm focusing. So that's one thing I try to do when I'm actually focusing. And one thing what my coaches taught me when I was younger is – using your offhand to track the ball. So when I'm playing well, I'll actually use my offhand to like point to the ball. Not physically take my index finger and point to the ball, but I put my hand up and I'm like direct, like looking in the direction of the ball. And that's when I actually play my best. Um, unfortunately, I'm not like um, Medvedev and Osaka and the grace of the game where I can do it consistently without thinking about it because um, I'm not at that level. But I know when I do it, my game goes up so much more, which is frustrating that I don't do it more. So getting my racket back is super, super important. And with that, the second tip is exaggerating your follow-through. Like, it's very important that when you get your racket back, you go all the way through and over your shoulder, not above your head, not over your the same shoulder. Like, there's, again, thought about this when I was playing grass. A lot of times when I was playing you, you, hit the, you do hit the ball much fatter than I do. So if my racket preparation is late, then I'm like hitting this abbreviated swing. I'm not getting a follow through. So again, lack of power, lack of control, which then leaves your opponent who that day was you 
an easy shot to put away because I can't do anything because it goes hand in hand. My preparation was late and I could not follow through. So it's very, very important. And the crazy thing is, which again, speaks so highly to these pros and how they do these things second nature. The tips that I'm giving you, I remember my coach telling me the same thing. And sometimes I do that. And I'll make sure like when I swing, I tell myself all the way over my shoulder. And I make sure that exaggerated almost to the point where it's like slightly even ugly to me. But I make sure I confirm getting my forehand all the way over my shoulder, getting my back and all the way over my shoulder. And I hit the ball so much better. But again, it's not muscle memory for me. So I have to consistently remind myself. But those are two things that players need to really practice and almost get to a point where it is second nature. It's early preparation, which if you want to see players who are super, super, super great at it, is Venus and Serena. They get their racket back so fast. Um, and then if you want to see somebody who's really great at follow-through, look at Federer hit any shot in slow motion. He literally follows through on every shot in one of the most beautiful ways that I've ever seen. Um, so those are my tips this week. Tip one, early preparation, super important. Turn your hips and your shoulders before contacting the ball and then exaggerating your follow-through so that you can have control of your shots and get that power that you want so that even if you're on grass, you're not blasted off the court like I was. So I mean, I don't think you were blasted off the court. It's not being dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, definitely two very good tips. Um, yeah, follow-through. I think it's follow through is an interesting thing because it's one of those things where it's like, no, I totally follow through. What are you talking about? And then if like say somebody recorded you and then you watch it and it's like, oh, is that all? Is that what my follow through looks like? So I don't follow through at all. <laughs> exactly. It's like something you think you're doing, but you definitely do have to exaggerate it, especially in the beginning until you get used to what it actually feels like. And then it becomes more apparent when you don't do it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's lots of times I remember when I first started. Even now, sometimes, now I catch myself, like, I can tell when I'm not following through. But when I first started, I'd be like, no, I totally was following through. And then I feel like you were like, no, you just, like, barely pushed. Like, you didn't even come back around your shoulder. I remember you used to tell me that all the time on my backhand, is that I would never actually finish the stroke out. It would just be like, I would stop kind of in the middle as soon as I make contact with the ball. And it's like, yeah, you didn't follow through. And I'm like, oh, definitely thought I did. (laughs) It felt like I, but I didn't. Okay, copy. And so when you do it, there is a huge difference in the power uh, that you get off the ball, for sure. So, so yeah. yes, it's very important for those players like me, especially for, for all players in general. But if you're looking to get some more power, but that's not your game, with my grips, especially on my forehand, I hit the ball more with more spin. Um, and she was one of my favorite players prior to cheating at the French Open. Um But Justine Enna has the same grip that I do on my forehand, which is very extreme and is not one that most coaches would teach. So me being someone that just played in my backyard, you know, I picked up some bad habits. I held the racket how I thought players held the racket. So I got used to having that grip. So by the time I got a coach, it was very hard for me to change that grip. And I remember my first coach tried to get me to change it, but it was just, it was too much because, remember, I started playing tennis when I was late. So I didn't get a coach until I was 14. So at that point, he just said, well, we'll keep the grip, but we'll have to make the most out of it. So I love Anna because even though she had the same grip, she was able to hit the ball with a lot of pace 
because she got her racket back and she would swing through. And if you look at and again, I still don't like it because she cheated. She would exact like she would swing and it would almost be like her racket always finished over her shoulder like and above her head because I think she was just taught exaggerate, exaggerate, exaggerate if you want power to keep up with these girls like the Williams sisters because your grip puts you at a disadvantage. Um, and I think it's just in my head because this weekend I was watching a lot of old matches and I watched her play Serena in a few matches and I was like, there's that grip and there's that racket extension. Um, so it definitely helps players like me who your grip does not give you natural power if you want to be able to hit the ball a little bit harder. Yeah. And it's one of those, again, one of those simple, simple things that it's like, it doesn't really have much to do with your, your, your stroke. I don't know how to say this, but it's like a simple thing that everybody can just employ and it will improve so many things. It's like, it's not like, oh, you need to completely change this. It's like, you know, just get your racket back, you know, just follow through. Those are very basic things that can make such a big difference uh, in what happens when you're on the court. Exactly. Yeah. So, good tip. Uh, All right. So, I think that's it for this episode, guys. Uh, We made it through another one, and it's been a pretty exciting end of the year, I think. We've had a lot to talk about post-U.S. Open. Um this this year you know there's been a lot going down in the tennis world i feel like since uh since the last grand slam of the year wrapped up uh we'll be here to finish out the year with you guys um coming back in two weeks where i can't will the year in the women's year end be over then or be in the middle i can't remember i was confused Uh, about the schedule uh, next week is luxembourg and moscow and then the weeks after that is Zuhai, which is the second, oh, the second one. year um, WTA Finals. So that, that'll be the weekend we come back. And then the following week is Shenzhen. Okay. Um, but I think it'll work out well if we do it in the two weeks because that week will be Shenzhen and the next week is going to be the men's year ending. So then we could talk about both. Both together. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. So then we'll be we'll have a couple more episodes before we get there, but uh, we will be definitely discussing both of those things. Um, follow us on Twitter. We've been doing a lot more posting on Twitter, so if you want to keep us to date with us there, uh, it's serving underscore it underscore up. Uh, follow us on Twitter so you can see the things that we discuss. You know, um, on there we kind of post uh, the most about. You know, stuff that's happening the day of, you know, anything that's hot in the news, we'll try to give a little bit of our uh, opinion on uh, what's going on. Uh, try to do some live tweeting here or there. It's kind of hard to to keep that up with the matches because they're in Asia and I'm we're usually asleep when they're playing. But we'll do yes. our best to try to keep that going because I enjoy doing the live tweeting. Uh, kind of gets to have some more interaction with you guys. Um, but yeah, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram as well. Send us an email. Let me find our Instagram name because I can never remember it. It's just the same, right? It's Serving It Up Podcast yes. on Instagram. Uh, and then we're on Facebook as well, Serving It Up. And if you want to send us an email, if you want a tennis tip about something, or you know, if you have a question about something that you can do differently, uh, Coach AJ will be happy to try to address your concern. Uh, and you can send an email to servingituppodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Yeah, all those things. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Everybody uh, enjoy the next two weeks until you hear from us again. Uh, Get out there, play some tennis, be active, watch some tennis, or, you know, don't watch tennis. (laughs) Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Thank you for those who are 
now following because we had a couple a uh, few new followers on instagram and our twitter page yeah so thank you guys for those who are joining us on this journey we appreciate it our people from all over the world one of our followers is from australia that's so crazy. shout out to alex um i think it's chapman yes um, i saw that yes hi alex he loves venus yes <laughs> he loves the sisters love yeah. venus stands for all together so thanks alex and everybody who's following us on this journey it's just two guys who love tennis love love the sisters and are just sharing our thoughts. Um, and who knows where this ride will take us. So yeah. we appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so we'll be back in two weeks. And, and keep up with us on the social media, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, see you guys. All right, be safe, everybody.